Hello everybody and welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations. I hope that this finds you well wherever you're listening to this. My name is Tafadzwan Dlovu and thank you for listening to this episode. So on the show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world. Individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I'd love to hear some of your feedback on the episode, either by writing us a review or giving us a five-star rating in the podcast app that you're listening to right now, or by heading over to our website, which is impactfulconversations.co.za. We also have a YouTube channel where you can go there and search Impactful Conversations, and you'll find us over there as well. We also have a newsletter that we do every month with some of the content from our episodes, along with some interesting pieces that we have come across. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to part three of the hashtag Critical Infrastructure SA series uh, that is run by Impactful Conversations and powered by uh, Sibenzana. I am absolutely thrilled uh, today to be joined by Ntombi Ntuli, who I will briefly introduce and greet in just a moment. Just to give you a brief overview of who she is, um, she's the Chief Executive Officer of the South African Wind Energy Association. Um, she was appointed to this position in September 2019 and is tasked with steering the industry as it takes a central role in South Africa's energy mix and transition, which we're going to have a chat about a little bit later. Um, she has a strong background in renewable energy policy as well um, and research environments, having previously worked for the CSIR and as a research group leader. Um, Tombi also holds an MPhil degree uh, in energy studies uh, from the University of Johannesburg and a certificate in economic development policy uh, from the University of Witwatersrand. Um, she previously worked in the Department of Trade and Industry as a director um, of Green Industries, where she was responsible for facilitating development of the local renewable energy uh, manufacturing industry as well. Um, and you know, before joining the Department of Trade and Industry, she spent three years at the NBC of Denmark, uh, working as coordinator for the Business to Business program, uh, where she actually facilitated, you know, links between the Danish and South African companies as well. So I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by a person of such high stature and such high quality of thought. Um, it's my absolute pleasure, Tombi, to welcome you to Impactful Conversations. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing uh, this morning? Yeah, when we're recording this. Thank you, Tafaza. Thank you for inviting me and uh, thanks for having me. And good morning to the listeners. Thank you so much, Tombi. And um, I think, you know, we, we typically start on on the show, um, you know, to kind of just, you know, get into it uh, by getting to know you a little bit. And yeah. so I just want to, you know, know from your side, so where were you born and where did you grow up? And then I think at the end of that, just keeping in touch with the theme, and um, what does the term critical infrastructure mean to mm. you? All right. Um, I was born in Ntunzini, which is a coastal town, uh, just 20 kilometers south of Richards Bay. And um, I, I basically spent all my childhood there, did primary school and high school, um, and then moved to Durban uh, to do okay. tertiary education. That's when I started environmental health, at, um, which is now D, uh, Durban University of Technology. Back then it was called ML Sultan Technicon. 
Oh, awesome, awesome. And if I had to say this, the two words, critical infrastructure, um, what does that mean to you? What does it sort of ring in your mind when I say those two words? Uh, to me, it means um, the, the, the kind of country-owned assets that uh, enable growth and development of the country and the economy, and also mm. enables interconnectedness within the country's economy. So critical infrastructure for me uh, will be things like uh, roads, will be things like uh, a broadband network, will be mm. things like energy, water, and and, and, and and so forth. So it's very important, no country economy can function without proper critical infrastructure being deployed. Yeah, absolutely, Greena. I love the word that you use there, interconnectedness. I think that was, you know, such a powerful sort of term and a very, you know, visual, you know, depiction of I think what critical infrastructure is all about. But before we get we get, you know, dive into that a little bit, a little bit more about you and, and your journey and, and your story. So I, I know you've you studied a, a number of different degrees in your career as I, as I said, um, you know, quite cool. early on. But let's firstly talk about your, you know, environmental health degree. I want to get to understand um, what was the what was the what is the inception behind it? What was the actual you know spark for you to do that? Mm. Um, and what sparked that sort of passion that you, that is so clearly you know blossomed throughout your life? And mm. you know then what propelled you to do your your further studies and your master's degrees? Yeah, uh, well, very interesting. Um, I developed a love for for the environment when I was in high school. Um, so when I was doing uh, standard nine and standard ten, uh, which is now grade eleven and twelve, yeah. I I got involved with a department of natural con con conservation. So yeah. they used to come to our school. They adopted our school, and we they had a program and a couple of selected uh, learners at school where we we got involved in day-to-day -day activities in protecting the environment. So in our school, we started a recycling project, uh, we started um, a grass planting project and protecting the trees and all of that. So when I left high school, for me, that, that seed was planted and I thought, well, this would be a nice journey to continue with. And that's when I decided to study environmental health after high school. That's so powerful, you know, that, that you were really sort of doing that in school. Mm. Uh, and I think that's such a powerful example, you know, for any any school kids who would be listening to this, you know, that actually mm. we can actually do so much in the environment, you know, around us. Mm. I'm curious, you've, you've worked, you know, both in research as well as in the public sector as well. Um, so you've had sort of a quite a, you know, a, a broad base of experience across different sectors. Um, even sort of in the sort of environmental mm. sector as it is, what are the, some of the personal growth lessons um, mm. that you've learned that you know that you picked up along the way that have been the most valuable to you? Mm. Okay, uh, personal growth lessons. I will come to that. I wanted to come to your your other previous question about how did I get to study masters? Oh yes, yes. Let's talk about the masters. Absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so what happened is now I was working for Eguruleni, as you have as you have seen in my resume, mm -hmm. um, as an environmental officer, and I got involved in a lot of um, 
projects um, and I got involved with a project called Eneki, which was um, which was um, a, a joint partnership or cooperation between uh, South African municipalities and universities and German municipalities, universities and private sector. So mm. we're working towards uh, using energy as a key to unlock the economy. So I got involved in the project. Uh, University of Johannesburg, Professor Harold Anegan um, uh, came to my office and he said, uh, are you studying? And I said, no, I'm not. Why are you not studying? You are still young. Well, I was still young then. Um, and, and he said, I would like to recruit you to come and do your master's uh, at UJ. I will personally mentor you and I will be your supervisor because I can see potential. And I was like, mm, yeah, you know, and um, and then I decided, OK, he said, go and write your proposal. Uh, I, I wrote my proposal, looked mm -hmm. at it, said, OK, when it's good enough, then we're going to go ahead and register. Uh, this was now in 2008 and then 2009, I was ready to register. And when we went there, they remember I started at, at, at a Technicon and yeah, UJ being former Rao is um, the mainstream university. Mm -hmm. So when we registered and then they said, um, no, this is a Technicon student. She won't cope doing an untaught master's and uh, we're not going to register her. And, um, and it made me realize that actually when people um, take the time to recognize the potential that you have, um, you need to fight along with them because Prof. Anegan really fought for me to get in that master's degree. Six months later, eventually I was registered and two and a half years later I got my degree. So, like I said, <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories because for me, it was someone recognizing my potential and actually putting their head on the block to fight for me to get in. And for me, it was, I need to pass. I need to prove them wrong. And mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I deliver in record time. And I did that. Absolutely. That's absolutely incredible. And I think that's such a, that's such a profound and powerful story, you know, in, in terms of the power of, of investing in people. Um, exactly. and, you know, and, you know, just seeing the potential that people can provide, you know, to the world. And I think you you have, you know, shown that in leaps and bounds um, throughout your career. And coming to the personal growth, I'm, yeah, I'm very sort of in light, in light of that, I'm very sort of interested to get a sense of, you know, what are some of the personal growth lessons that you have learned throughout your career as well as your studies as well? Um, yeah, so for me, uh, personal growth lessons is, like I've said now, uh, mm. life will plant people in your path. Uh, that will be catalyst for you to get to the next level. And um, those will be your guardian angels. And uh, you reward them with diligence. You reward them with success and make sure that you don't disappoint them because they want nothing else from you. They want yeah. to see you succeed. So that's, that's one. Um, second one is you don't need a position to lead. So as you grow in the career as a person, uh, don't wait to be a manager to give strategic direction. When you've got ideas, put your ideas forward. Because um, for me, when I worked for Eguruleni, when my manager resigned, um, I took up what would typically be her work and I started coordinating energy projects. And actually, it's because I took that initiative back then in 2006 that I can mm. stand here and be CEO of the South African Wind Energy Association. Mm. So 
you don't need a position to lead. I was still environmental officer, but I was coordinating energy project at that level where my manager would have. Mm-hmm. Um, last one is, um, which I think has, in hindsight, worked for me, is build your personal brand. Um, people, we, we go through life and careers not recognizing that putting yourself out there actually has a benefit to your personal growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but be selective about what you put out there. So we, we now have great platforms. We've got conferences, speaking opportunities. We've got social media platforms that we can use. It's tools at our discretion to mm-hmm. actually brand ourselves as a person. So when people look at Ndomfutinduli, they must know this is the person that stands for this. What do you stand for as a person? And what do you want to be known for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are the three for me. Those are those are three exceptionally powerful lessons, and I think, you know, I love particularly love the you know the part around you don't need a, a position to lead, um, because I think that's super inspirational. Right? I think sometimes we wait we wait for a position for us to sort of realize our leadership potential, whereas yeah. actually you know we can make a difference wherever we are if only we should start. And you know, look look to the future and look for a brighter future. So I think that was exceptionally powerful. And thank you for for sharing that with us. Um, we started off quite fast. <laughs> we started off very fast. Yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 slow it down a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, we started off quite fast. We launched right into your life. You know, where hey. you grew up, where you were born, life lessons, all of that. I want to slow it down a little bit and you know get to know you a little bit more again. Um, mm-hmm. Typical day in the life of Ntombi Futi Ntuli. What is what is that typical day like? And I suppose I'll say a typical sort of you know working day. Yeah. How does it go? Are you a morning person, evening person? Are you you know bright and early, or are you sort of you know a slow burner throughout the day? How does that? How does a typical day in your life go? Um, look, I'm not a morning person, uh, so I don't even try to wake up at 4 a.m. because it's not going to work because I'm a yeah. night out. Sometimes I sleep at 2 a.m. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I survive on, on very little sleep uh, mm. by choice uh, because mm. I prefer to uh, work in the evenings when it's more quiet and if, if there are things that I need to do. So a typical day for me is, um, okay, well, these days I wake up, uh, go for a short uh, run, uh, come back, and um, and then come back, check my, in fact, the first thing I do, I light up my phone, check my diary. What does my yeah. day look like? Mm-hmm. And once I know what my diary looks like, then I know, do I have time to go for a jog or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if not, then I um, wake up um go to my workstation at home and uh, set up and um, and basically go through meetings, uh, which mostly involves interaction with um, our stakeholders. We are an industry association mm. and uh, our main job is to 
uh, unlock the doors for the industry and make sure that we, we, we lobby for, for the growth and development of the industry. So it will be interaction with members, it will be interaction with uh, our external stakeholders and making sure that we sit in important tables where decisions about wind energy are being made and make sure that the sector has the voice in those, um, in those particular discussions. Mm. So basically, I would say uh, my days are filled with back-to-back -back meetings. Sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. I, hope, I hope you get to rest at some point. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I always make sure that um, uh, at least 5 to 6 p.m. I mm. knock off, switch off everything. Then I spend time with the kids. I've got two kids. Um, and then later on, uh, when we are done uh, with uh, family time, everyone is going to bed. And uh, then I can continue working if I feel like I want to do that. So because yeah. like I yeah, I'm a night owl. I love working in the evening. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm actually the complete opposite. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a what is it? Opposite of a night owl? Like a, what, an early, bird, early, bird. early bird. Yeah, I'm an early bird. Yeah. I knew there was a phrase. Yeah, I'm an early bird. So I, I yeah, I, I mean, today's Saturday and I woke up at half past five just mm. because I don't, it, it was, it was even before my alarm, but hey. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but so that's, you know, that's that's actually really, you know, quite powerful um, in terms of, you know, how you spend your day. I think it's important for people to, to sort of get a, a sneak peek into that reality and, mm. you know, to get, a, to get a sense of you as the person and, you know, the amount of work that you get through, you know, for, I think, such an important cause and such an important topic and a topical discussion in, in the industry at the moment, which we'll get to in, in just yeah, a moment. Yeah. And I must, I must add that, yeah. I must mm. add that you know, um, this lockdowns and, and, um, and COVID-19 has actually uh, forced us to embrace the work from home environment. Mm. And sometimes the lines are really blurred between a family and work thing, but we just need to find to find that balance. What I have found personally is because my, my office is very far from my house is the time I save that I could have been traveling to the office actually makes a huge difference in my work because I find that I've got time to do more and yeah. um, it's been great, yeah. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, cutting down on that time has sort of unlocked, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of potential and the amount of work that we're able to do. You've you've travelled to many different countries. Uh, I'm I'm sure, and I, I, you know, I've we we know you've obviously lived in in different countries as well. Um, now, if I had to ask you, which one is your favourite? You have to you have to pick one. Which one would you say is your favourite? Not that you stayed in, but actually that you've just been to. Yeah, I, I love Eastern countries. Uh, for me, my favourite was Japan. Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> I went to I went to Japan in 2012, mm. and what what struck me about the country is it's really first world. So yeah. when it's first world country, everything came into the hotel, and I found everything was automated. You just press the remote, the curtains open, you go to the bathroom, the toilet is automated. I was <laughs> like, wow, I could live like this. <laughs> In fact, I want to import that that bathroom. <laughs> so I really love yeah. it because it was um it's really 
the uh, first world for me. And mm. the people there are very respectful. And, um, you know, the, the thing of like uh, greeting, bow down, exchange business cards. And I found that they really look after their guests. Mm. And that was my experience when I went to um, Taiwan. Taiwan okay. looked after us like we were VIPs, unlike in other countries that I won't mention, where mm. you get to the airport, you have to find a way to the hotel and you have mm. to find a way to the meeting tomorrow, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but my next, <laughs> my next favorite was the U.S. Okay. Uh, because mm. we had an opportunity to spend like five weeks in the U.S. for work and mm. uh, traveled from the East Coast to the West Coast. And uh, for me, I was just starstruck because I, I was seeing all the places I see in the movies. Yes. <laughs> for Chicago, Washington, D.C. So, yeah, that was just amazing. Amazing, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's very very different once you get to see it, you know, mm. in in real life. And you know, I think I I look forward to uh, to visiting Japan one day and seeing uh, seeing the luxury the luxurious life that you that you said that you spoke about. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, in ja when I was in Japan, then we had an earthquake, which was an experience of a lifetime, oh, like a proper proper earthquake with buildings moving like that. Oh my goodness! And that so. <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously, I mark it as a, a experience of a lifetime, but it's yeah. not an environment you want to find yourself in. <laughs> no, it's not. A, yeah, but you, you pretty much got the full experience, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you got the full experience. <laughs> so thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. So, wind, wind energy, and um, yeah, and particularly in the South African, you know, context. This is such an interesting topic, and I, I, I'm I'm so excited to to talk to you about this and to to really you know dig into into you know into this particular topic and to to I think yeah you know, and I would imagine anybody listening to this is probably like yes finally they're talking about wind energy. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I want to ask you, um, what do you think are the main advances, technological advances, and um, that have made wind energy a more competitive um, energy source in South Africa. Mm. Yeah, um, I would say wind turbine technology is mm. advancing every year. So when the when the industry started in South Africa about ten years ago, mm. um, we were using smaller wind turbines. About um, the projects that have installed um, turbines as 1.8 megawatts up to 2.5. Uh, mm. The next bidding round uh, that we are waiting for, uh, industry or the equipment manufacturers are talking uh, six mega six megawatt machines. Wow. So you can see that advancement. It also means that you install, because it means you install fewer turbines in mm -hmm. uh, the field, and therefore you are able to harvest more, um, to generate more energy with fewer installations. So yeah. for me, I think that technological advancement actually even helps the technology to become more competitive and mm -hmm. produce, produce more with less. Mm -hmm. And it also helps to reduce the, the levelized cost of electricity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an incredibly that's an incredibly powerful advancement and, and I think something which 
I'm excited to sort of see come in come into the fall um, in the immediate future. Yeah. If if I had to ask you, um, what do you think? How important do you think um, is the role of the youth in the discussion mm-hmm. around um, a new energy mix for South Africa, and you know the energy mix for for now as well as the energy mix, you know, for the next five to ten years? And how do we bring them to the table um, mm. such that, you know, they are also contributing to that discussion? Um, very important question. Uh, youth is the future leaders. No, so mm. they are the energy sector leaders of tomorrow. Mm. And we need, to, we need to make sure that we embrace, we guide. And uh, especially when they are now inside the sector, uh, we need to make sure that we we share the knowledge because, I mean, some of us uh, are old and have been involved in the industry for for more than 10 years, almost 15 years. And Mm. uh, that institutional memory is something that we need to have those kind of conversations to, to bring the young ones up to say, this is where we are coming from. Yes, you will go and find uh, research papers that detail, but I think uh, sharing the knowledge that we have as um, the seniors in the sector, I think that will help. And Mm -hmm. then secondly, um, we need to guide the the youth in the right direction in terms of uh, choices, uh, of career choices and educational choices. we do from the wind sector. We have what you call a energy drive, where we 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 we, call, we partner with uh, different partners. Take this uh, truck from DUT and uh, travel for a period of two weeks throughout the schools in the eastern and western Cape, mm-hmm. and uh, that. A fully equipped uh, truck goes to each and every high school, targeting grades 11s and grade 12s teach them about the energy sector and so that we guide their career choices when they leave the high school environment. And then, and, and then um, third one, we have a conference uh, called Windec Africa, mm. where we, we, we create a platform for researchers to, to, to present their academic work. So it would mm. usually mostly be university students. And we make sure that our WINDEC conference actually coincides with our uh, flagship um, industry conference, WINDABA, and so that the, the, the students can have an opportunity to network and interact with uh, people within the sector in the WINDABA exhibition. So those are some of the things that we, we, we're doing and we're hoping to do more. Uh, we are just uh, maybe a little bit strained in terms of resources, but we, yeah. No, but that's wonderful. I, you know, I love the idea of, of you know, take going to schools and directly, you know, engaging with people about the energy sector and I, I think that's so powerful. I really think that is incredibly powerful and, you know, the work the work that you're doing, I think, you know, is, is going to set us in good stead, not just for the future, but right now, um, to actually, you know, have those have those pertinent discussions that we need to have. If I, if I ask you, um, you know, when we talk critical infrastructure and, you know, in mm. the process of energy in South Africa in particular, um, mm. how, how do you think we need to rethink how we manage our critical infrastructure, particularly around energy. Um, and, you know, 
this question is sort of in two parts. The first being, you know, um, what is it that we are currently or starting to do well in this respect? Mm -hmm. And that you think we need to improve on? Mm. Okay, so in the energy space, uh, particularly, uh, energy is a very important uh, catalyst mm. uh, for economic growth. So we can't grow the economy without um, without energy. Currently, we in a crisis, our energy availability factor is way below 60%, which mm. lands us in the load shedding situation that we, 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 we are continuously in. Yeah. So um what we are not doing right is uh, planning properly and following through with the plans because mm-hmm. um if you if 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 you, if you would go back to the policy environment you'll know that in 1998 uh, there was an energy policy approved that actually talked about diversifying the energy mix that talked about um um restructuring of the national power utility escom mm-hmm. Those things are starting to happen now, but they were uh, approved by government in 1998. Why is it taking us so long to actually jump into action, right? Mm. Uh, the load shedding that started in 2007 was already predicted in that policy paper in 1998. Yeah. And uh, if we had acted earlier, we would have um, avoided that situation. Mm. So uh, fast forward to where we are now. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, good action happening, but I think we are kind of behind schedule in terms of the the gap, the energy capacity gap that keeps getting wider and wider. Mm. Uh, we are not closing it fast enough. So mm. to do that, we need to make sure that we've got now the integrated resource plan was approved in 2019. Yeah. And to make sure that we, we, we implement it as, as quickly as possible. Mm. Uh, I was just glad to hear um, in the State of the Nation address yesterday, day before yesterday, yep. that um, there are now firm plans to go ahead and procure a new energy generation capacity because yep. we need, yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just that we need to plan, but we need to follow through with action as soon as possible so that we can close this capacity gap because our power stations are all reaching end of life and there's a plan to decommission 10, 10 uh, gigawatts of coal power over the next 10 years. We need to close that gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's time, you're right, it's time for action and it's time to, yeah. to, to, I think, you know, rapidly progress this forward. And, you know, um, linking to another Another planning document, as it were, um, which is the National Development Plan. Um, Mm -hmm. What role do you think, uh, you know, wind energy specifically um, has to play in, and I quote here from the document, um, creating Mm -hmm. an environmentally uh, sustainable, um, climate change resilient, um, Mm -hmm. and low carbon economy as well as a just society. So what role do you think wind energy has, you know, to play in creating that future for South Africa? Mm. Um, National Development Plan is a very important uh, planning document uh, for Mm. the country. uh, And it's very specific in terms of different outcomes that it wants to see. And um, I think that wind energy actually contributes to a number of 
those uh, outcomes. One, uh, it makes um, it makes a commitment to procure 20 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2030. Mm. And if you, if you ask me if I'm if are we on track uh, in achieving that, I would say um, definitely. Um, mm. Uh, because now we've got already procured capacity of renewable energy of about uh, six, I don't know, 6.8 gigawatts if we combine all technologies. Mm. And and uh, the plan to procure in terms of the integrated resource plan of 20 gigawatts of renewables by 2030. So I think we'll be on track to achieve that. But yeah. it's not just putting power in the grid. Um, the 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 NDP also looks at creating an efficient, competitive, and um, responsive economic infrastructure network. So that's one. And then there are there are areas where it talks about protecting the environment and creating jobs. So yes. creating a sustainable economy, uh, you put power in the grid, but there is a lot that the industry is contributing in terms of attracting investment, uh, creating jobs socioeconomic development in the areas that the projects are built in and mm. making sure that we, we 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 achieve our broad-based black economic empowerment targets um uh, that that have been committed to yeah yeah are there any specific uh, wind energy projects that you are particularly um excited about to form you know part of this part of this you know plan going forward um, not 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 one specific, uh, yeah. but I know there are a lot of uh, projects currently under development uh, mm-hmm. because they need to do the development activities before before the bidding. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of pro- projects. In fact, I think this bidding round um, that we're expecting uh, over the next couple of weeks is going to be oversubscribed because yeah. they, remember industry has been waiting for for a building window since 2014 so while waiting there's been a lot of development activity so projects are ready and um once the bidding window opens, uh, they, they they already have their certifications, environmental authorizations, civil aviation authorizations, uh, and they've done all the necessary studies, and um and and they are ready. So mm. we're really looking forward to to the next bidding window. It's going to be an exciting year, actually. Yeah, and uh, yeah. to quote you uh, from about a few minutes ago, it's it's time for action. And I love it that. Yeah. I absolutely it's time love for that. action. <laughs> yeah, it's time for action. I love that. That that that's gonna stick with me. And um Tombe, I just wanna thank you. We've we've you know come to the end of, of our chat. Um I just wanna thank you so much for sharing incredible knowledge. Firstly, I think um for sharing with us your powerful story. Um and the not just the lessons that you've learned through that, but the lessons that you know we've learned you know, through listening to your story and, you know, how inspirational it is and, you know, how insightful, you know, you have, you know, sort of depicted it and, you know, uh, you know, summarized it uh, so, so in such a way that, you know, it has been so inspiring for us to actually listen to. So thank you firstly for sharing your story, your journey um, and, you know, your passions as well uh, with us this morning. 
Um, and then, you know, secondly, thank you for sharing, you know, your insights around, you know, our critical infrastructures of Africa, around wind energy specifically, and around, I think, overall, you know, the, the sort of energy sector in South Africa. I think, you know, we, we count ourselves, you know, really privileged to have been able to listen to you. And um, I count myself really privileged to be in the same uh, virtual room as you. Um, you know, and, and to actually have shared this conversation, I, I'm much, much richer for it. And I just want to thank you so much for uh, a truly impactful conversation. Um, and I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I, I have enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's been it's been a pleasure. And thanks for inviting me. I, re I really enjoyed the conversation. Wonderful, wonderful. So to our listeners um, from Tombi Futintuli and myself, uh, we want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, listening to the episode. And if you have, you know, any feedback for us in terms of how you found this, no doubt, you know, impactful. Uh, but please do go over to Impactful Conversations at Sierra today and share, you know, your feedback with us in terms of how you found the episode. We'd love to to know how it impacted you and how it made your life, uh, you know, infinitely better and, you know, inspired you to go on and to change your world for the better. So from Tomlin Putin Tuli and myself, we want to say thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. Hope that you impacted positively and that you found substance and significance. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to our episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Do head over to our website, impactfulconversations.ca.za, for more details about the show, as well as to give us any feedback of how you found the show, and to send through your questions to our future guests. Thank you to all of you who have listened, subscribed, and given us feedback. It really does mean an incredible deal. But anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.